Hey, Incline listeners, looking to start your own podcast? Let me tell you about Anchor. First of all, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Now, you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can have it heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast as well with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to The Incline, your Dodgers podcast for Dodgers talk, rumors, updates, and everything Dodgers. I'm Kevin Klein. I'm David Rosenthal. I'm Ian Nielsen. We're your host, and this podcast is powered by Dodgers Lowdown. And without further ado, it's let's ride. Time for the words that are recited before each and every game here at Dodger Stadium. Take it away, Finn. It's time for Dodger Baseball. What is up, everyone? Hope you're all doing well out there and staying safe at home to both you and your family. Kevin Klein here, and I'm joined by Ian. How are you doing, Ian? What's up? That's uh, yeah, pretty great to have my microphone again uh, and kind of be settled into my new place that we just moved into. Uh, I got everything moved out of ASU, so yeah, I feel like I'm able to actually record a podcast and sound like I belong instead of, you know, AirPods, but it's, it's, it's going well. I mean, uh, certainly getting accustomed to the uh, quarantine life. So now that begs the question of um, what is it going to be like to get back into the swing, swing of things again, after just being at home seemingly for 23 hours in a day, every day. Well, you sound great, Ian. Yeah, I definitely feel you on that. Before we get started on today's fun new series that very excited to share with you all. Uh, what's going on in the baseball world? How are you feeling about the latest possibly three-state system? I, I'm a huge fan of it. I, I think baseball needs to be started back up again. Um, it, it, last, I believe it was Monday night, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who we all know is not only on President Trump's task force team for coronavirus, but he's also the head of the NA, NIAID. Uh, he basically spoke with Jack Curry of YES Network and has basically put it out there that there, there's a possibility of baseball returning. And that is huge for us. Um, the most likely thing uh, would be this with no fans, possibly in Arizona or Florida. Um, I'm not as concerned because I believe the MLB is going to wait until there's public health officials that give it the okay. My concern is more, we've seen a lot of complaint from players. There's a lot of people unwilling to um, bend to these rules. Uh, we've heard it from Wainwright, Kershaw, and Trout. So th- there's going to have to be a way for Major League Baseball to allow players to possibly bring their families along with them, which I don't see a problem with bringing your immediately family along to Arizona, Florida. Um, but they're going to have to work something out because if I've learned anything, it is that what Tony Clark and the MLBPA say goes. And essentially Manfred really has no leverage when it comes to that. So I love the three, uh, three state plan. Um, but you know, they just got to get it ironed out. Um, make sure, make sure that, um, there there's rapid tests available multiple times a week. Uh, you gotta be testing these guys. Um, 
I will say if one person say were to develop a case, I don't think that means you shut the whole season down. But I, I think you need to have testing be completely available, rapid testing available for this to start back up and um, play without fans in the stands. And I think I think we've got ourselves a season. Cardboard cutouts, sound effects for the crowd, whatever it may be, <laughs> make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And even when there's no live sports going on, at least we get a little excitement. Today's big story, Rob Gronkowski joining the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Very interesting thing yeah, right fo- there. Football is seemingly kind of going going through without a hitch. You know, I mean, okay, the draft's going to be on online, but, you know, what percentage of football fans really go to the NFL draft anyways? And to be quite honest with you, it's really not something that I understand why anyone would ever even pay for to go to. You know, I mean, teams like my team hasn't had a first-round pick since we took Jared Goff first overall in 2016. So, you know, football's going through without a hitch. And um, the draft's going to be interesting. Um, And I think um, a lot of the new uniforms are very, very interesting. I I like a lot of them. Uh, Chargers released a new uniform uh, on Tuesday, which is when we're currently recording. Uh, They really kind of are hearkening back to their old, old look. So I'm interested to see how the Rams respond. If they're taking a long time, I think they might have scratched their uniforms after fans reacted to the logo. So, Yeah. We'll all right. Well, yeah, Ian brought it up. We're recording on a Tuesday night. I hope all you guys had a great 420 on Monday, lighting it up, chilling, whatever your thing is. I was just doing, preparing doing for abso- Doing absolutely none of what that partakes. Yes, that was excellent. Yeah. I was just preparing for what we got today, and I'm very excited. I'm going to break the ice right now. So, obviously, there's no baseball going on. Everyone's aware. And we could be at least another month, if not two, away. So why not just revisit a fun season? So I chose 2013. Ian, why do you think I chose 2013? Well, 2013, if I were to guess, was the start of what seemingly had the Astros not cheated in the 2017 world series, we could define as the beginning of the Dodgers dynasty Yeah. Um, in the magic Johnson Guggenheim era. They had that just, written down verbatim. Yeah. yeah, no, they, they, they should have been dynasty. This is, this is the beginning of the should have been dynasty uh, seven straight national league, Western division titles. Um, and a whole lot of 91 seasons later, 90 plus win seasons later. And um this is the foundation for it. This is the season where, you know, the year before the LA Dodgers bring in Hanley Ramirez and Gonzalez and Crawford and Beckett and Punto, you know, the, that dude was like Kike before Kike. Yes. Um, yeah. So it was very much an interesting season. I think this was one of those seasons. Um, there's been about, I would say two seasons with the Dodgers where I really felt like they could win the world series um this season in 2017 and uh this i i really felt like they could have been the champions that year they felt they felt like a team that was primed to win and they um they had spark they had it all uh they even had veteran experience so it was a great season it really yeah. was, really was a roller coaster yeah this is a really fun season and you kind of forget the ups and downs that this team really went through especially in the first half so what i'm going to do for you guys we're going to go game by game so Today's episode, we're just going to focus on the offseason and all the way through April, and you'll kind of just get the feeling. So the way I was able to do my research and prepare for this, if you go on YouTube, you can pretty much watch every game. If you type in the date and just look for the condensed game, it gives you all the highlights, it really refreshes your mind, and definitely gave me 
a lot of clarity and just reminded me like a lot of these players kind of where they were at their career in 2013. So we're going to talk about a lot of guys that you probably haven't thought about in a few years, certain players that were either in their rookie or second year and just like some certain Dodger players that you just probably forgot about in general because either they were really terrible, they were at the end of their career or they just ended up finding a new team later on. So I'm really excited to do this little series, the 2013 Dodger season, a whole new blue. So we'll start with the off season. Actually, sorry, we're going to start with 2012. As Ian already had mentioned, the Dodgers made some moves. They had a new ownership. Thankfully, we, we got rid of Frank McCourt. Bud Selig finally had enough as McCourt was running this team into the ground. And Ian, how did you feel about when McCourt finally had to sell the Dodgers? Yeah, no, Frank McCourt, um, it, it's really a shame because I'd met McCourt actually on a few occasions. My uh, my mother used to, I, I'm not going to, say why because i'm not totally sure but we used to have excellent tickets to dodger games and we used to be able to get into the box box seats and stuff uh, when i was a kid and i would met mccord on a few occasions he was an excellent very nice man um so it was it was really a shame to me when i saw the disaster with his whole wife and the chauffeur and then seemingly it was like he was using the dodgers as a personal atm but it was clear that he had to sell the team um i i was really ecstatic that the team got put into great hands um the team was given over to Los Angeles legend Magic Johnson. Uh, well, even yes. though he's barely an owner of the team, he still has a little bit of stake. But it, it was put into the hands of what we have now learned is just an exceptional ownership group that um, has just put very, very intelligent people. And I'm going to say it. They've been willing to spend money and give up capital uh, to win. They clearly did that when they first purchased the team, as we're about to find out. Right. And... So the two big splashes that they made that offseason, they signed Zach Ranke to a six-year deal, and they also brought in Hunjin Ryu, who had been pitching in South Korea, so he was a little bit of an unknown, but we all kind of had a feeling he was going to be someone that was going to make his name on the Dodgers rotation. During this time period, Ned Coletti was actually the GM of the Dodgers before Friedman. He had been hired on in 2006, and the manager of the Dodgers who's no longer with the team, Don Mattingly, who was hired on in 2011 after Joe Torre retired. So just the last thing to sum, summarize where the Dodgers were heading into 2013. They hadn't made the playoffs since 2009, where they reached the NLCS but fell to the Phillies. In 2012, they were kind of making a little bit of a run, but they fell just short of a wildcard berth. And... If there's anything else you'd like to add in, I'm ready to present what the opening day roster was for 2013. Yeah, I'll never forget that uh, 20. If you mentioned the 2012 just falling short of the uh, wild card, I think they had like 86 wins that season. I remember um, it was a game against the San Francisco Giants, and uh, Mark yes. Ellis got absolutely hosed at home plate in what would have been, I believe, a tying run of, in that inning, or it would have been a go-ahead run. Um, and that kind of started me just having an unfair uh, wanting Mark Ellis to get dealt syndrome after that <laughs> uh, which probably wasn't totally warranted but um man bringing back memories when the dodgers were like scrapping for a postseason spot i mean then again they did in 2018 as well so i can't say that but man these are this is a trip down memory lane it warms my heart brings me back to my childhood <laughs> yeah exactly so before we actually name the 25 man roster there were a few notable injuries that i will just remind everyone of 
Right-handed pitcher Chad Billingsley started on the disabled list, as well as Scott Elbert. He had left elbow surgery. Hanley Ramirez, shortstop who they acquired from the Florida Marlins the year before, he was out due to right thumb surgery. He actually hurt his thumb during the World Baseball Classic. And then left-handed pitcher Ted Lilly, if you remember him, <laughs> he was also on the DL. All right, so Chad, Chad Billings, Billingsley was just one of those guys I thought was – I really believed him and Kershaw were going to be like the – like what DeGrom and Syndergaard or yeah. Scherzer's straw. I mean, seriously, Chad Billingsley could bring it. I mean, the dude – I mean, if you look at his lower body, he was built like an NFL player, like a linebacker. The dude, the dude had power. He had leverage. I kind of – really thought that he was going to be what Kershaw and Granke kind of turned out to be for a few years. Yeah, same here. I, especially, I think it was in 09 when Billingsley was on the all-star team. Yeah. I thought he was, that was the beginning of a long peak, but yeah. Sadly, I mean, I, we always knew Kershaw was going to be the best one, but nevertheless, I mean, I didn't really think by this season, you know, ultimately yeah. would kind of be it. Right. So the pitchers, Josh Beckett, Ronald Belisario, mm-hmm. Chris Capuano, Zach Granke, Matt Guerrier, Aaron Harang, who ironically didn't even actually make the opening day roster. I don't know what happened there, but he ended up being on Seattle. But anyways, J.P. Howell, Kenley Jansen, Clayton Kershaw, Brandon League, Paco Rodriguez, and Hunjin Ryu. You mentioned so many underappreciated names right there. Chris Capuano, JP Howell, man, Brandon league, even like Brandon league's one of those guys that Dodger fans love to hate. And I like, I don't know why, if you look at his stats, he really never had a terrible year this year. Okay. This year wasn't very good. I'll say that, but he really like does not deserve the hate that he got. It's not like he was Chris Hatcher. Come on. Yeah. And then the position players were as followed. AJ Ellis, Tim Fedorovich, Luis Cruz, Mark Ellis, Adrian Gonzalez, Nick Punto, Justin Sellers, Juan Uribe, Carl Crawford, Andre Ethier, Matt Kemp, Jerry Hairston Jr., and Skip Schumacher. What a time. <laughs> Definitely a different team. This was kind of yeah. before the Dodgers had really built up a farm system. They were more a veteran-heavy yeah. team. Dude, oh my God, when Zach Lee. I mean, seriously, I remember when our top prospects were like Jerry Sands, um, Russ Mitchell, John Lindsay. It's like these dudes that were like absolute no names in the MLB were like our top prospects. Zach Lee, the guy that ended up getting flipped for Chris Taylor, you know, Alan Webster. Yep. It's crazy. Yep. All right. Let's do it. Opening day at Dodger Stadium, April 1st, 2013. I'm not going to read you guys the entire lineup, but two notable names that were in the starting lineup. You had Luis Cruz at third base and Justin Sellers at shortstop. Juan Uribe was actually on the bench, which is kind of funny to think because there's some really iconic moments that we'll get to later on in the season with Mr. Real quick, Uribe. I, it must be noted, Juan Uribe was an absolute unmitigated disaster for the Dodgers in 2011 and 2012. Yeah. I know everyone loves to remember him for a certain moment later in the season, which was awesome. Uh, but let's not mince words. The dude was an absolute bust for most of his time as a Dodger, uh, seemingly redeeming himself for a single year. But Luis Cruz, man, like he absolutely scratched and clawed in 2012 to get to, or yeah, in 2012 to get to that spot. Yes, you're right. Luis Cruz, we thought he showed some good signs in 2012, 
down the stretch, we're like, okay, this guy could yeah. be suitable. But you'll see what happens in 2013 with Cruz. Yes, you will. So here we go, April 1st. The matchup is Clayton Kershaw. Really no surprise here. He had already established himself as the ace of the Dodgers. He was the 2011 Cy Young Award winner. And he was taking on Matt Cain, which is kind of interesting because the Giants were in a place where their old ace of Tim Lincecum was falling off and Madison Bumgarner hadn't established himself just yet as their number one. Yeah, man. I, the San Francisco Giants, I, I've never seen a team, maybe the Phillies, I guess, but at least they, their aces kind of stayed good. They just got injured. But, man, the Giants, like, Lincecum and Kane, I don't think people remember, were, like, really, like, top-of-the-line arms during yeah. that 10 and 11 or 10 and 12 World Series. I mean, those were really – Lincecum won two World – or uh, Cy Youngs. People seem to forget that. It's crazy. Matt Kane too, excellent pitcher. I don't know what happened. Jonathan Sanchez, too. It was insane. Yeah. So – it's also unfortunately noted that the Giants were the 2012 World Series champions, so they were coming into this game as the yes, reigning champs. Reigning champs, yeah. And Kershaw and Kane, they actually really battled this out. This is a pitcher's duel. No runs across the board. We get to the bottom of the eighth. George Contos comes in for the Giants, and then this happens. And Kershaw followed by Crawford and Ellis. And a high fly ball to center. Pagan going back. It's over his head. It's over the fence. So as you just heard with the call, Clayton Kershaw hits what would be his first career home run to put the Dodgers off 1-0. I remember this game so vividly because I remember I uh, was in elementary school. I was in sixth grade at the time. That's how long this Dodgers thing has been going on. I was in sixth grade. Uh, I'm now a freshman, almost finished my freshman year at Arizona State online. But, um, man, what – I remember coming home because I, like, got early release that day, so I was home by, like, 2.30. And I just remember coming home, turning on the TV, uh, grabbing a snack, sitting down, and Kershaw was up to bat against George Contos. And uh, he hits a one he, – he solo shot. I think they ended up scoring a few more runs later that inning. Yeah, so the Giants man, get a little uh, sloppy – Ethier Ellis tack Mark Ellis tack on a few more runs. So yeah, the Dodgers go up four nothing. Yeah, no, the the great memory. I remember coming home and Kershaw hit a home run. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And if I'm not mistaken, that's the only home run Kershaw's ever hit. So yeah, Kershaw throws a complete game shutout, just as Pete Kershaw would do. 94 pitches, only allowed four hits, seven strikeouts. Dodgers win four zero, and there you go. They're 1-0, great start to the season, right? Okay. So now it's April 2nd, and it's Hunjin Ryu taking on Madison Bumgarner. So this would actually be Ryu's first major league start. He was kind of coming into this game on a hot streak. He had retired his last 23 batters he had faced in spring training. But unfortunately, it's a really rough ride for Ryu. Through innings one through three, he kept getting into some jams, but he managed to find his way out. He was giving up a lot of hits. But come the fourth inning, the Giants do take a 1-0 lead on an RBI single. Ryu would end up giving up 10 hits in this ballgame along with five strikeouts. And then if you remember this guy, Ronald Belisario, he was kind of like the first coming of Pedro Baez in my opinion. Yes, yes, perfect analogy. Comes into the seventh, Madison Bumgarner's at the plate. Madison Bumgarner 
grounds one up to the second base side. Justin Sellers fields it, but he actually airmails it, throws it past the first baseman. Two more two runs come in to score. The Giants go up three nothing. Madison Bumgarner completely shuts down the Dodgers. Eight shutout innings with six strikeouts. Sergio Romo comes in for the save. Giants hold on and win three nothing. Ex Dodger great Sergio Romo. Yeah. So the next game, it's April 3rd. This is kind of a matchup of two washed pitchers at this point. It's Josh Beckett and Tim Lincecum, who both were coming off really bad 2012s. Carl Crawford scores in the first inning on a wild pitch. Bases loaded in the second, one out. But unfortunately, Skip Schumacher strikes out and then Matt Kemp flies out. These are early signs of the Dodgers offense really struggling. At the top of the third, the Giants do manufacture two runs. They take a 2-1 lead. And then Josh Beckett also serves up a high fastball to Pablo Sandoval, giving the Giants a 4-1 lead at the end of the third. Eventually, Sergio Romo comes in, gets his second save of the season. Dodgers fall to 1-2, and two, lose the series to the Giants. Uh, also, if this series was not an indication of just like Dodger baseball for the next decade, you know, grounding into double plays and good situations, letting him go by, man, I swear. So a month and a year, Josh yeah, Beckett would go on to do something incredible. <laughs> yeah. I li- Honestly, I liked Beckett. I don't know for whatever reason. I think it was because in 2011, he was an absolute stud mm-hmm. in Boston. He was a weird pitcher. He'd have like these years where he'd have like a 2-3 ERA and the next year he'd have like a 5-8. He, he was very, very hot and cold. Yeah. All right, so the next series, it's against the Pittsburgh Pirates. We'll take you to April 5th. Zach Greinke making his Dodger debut against Jonathan Sanchez, lefty. Bottom of the second inning, scoreless game. Andre Ethier gets his first home run of the season, puts the Dodgers up 1-0. No action until we get to the sixth inning, where Matt Kemp gets an RBI double, putting them up 2-0. Agon then cleans it up, knocks, drives in Matt Kemp. Dodgers go up 3-0 on an RBI double. Brandon League was the closer at this time, comes in in the ninth inning, gets a perfect 1-2-3 for his first save of the 2013 campaign. 3-0 Dodgers. Oh, we found ourselves a closer of the future there. Yeah. Brandon League was acquired in 2012 and actually had a pretty good run with the Dodgers, but... You'll see what happens in 2013. Yes. So next game, April 6th. This wasn't a very offensive-driven game. Basically, Clayton Kershaw throws seven shutout innings, nine strikeouts. Brandon Lee, he gets his second save of the year. Dodgers win this game 1-0. The only offense was when Mark Ellis drove in Carl Crawford in the third against A.J. Burnett, who falls to 0-2. So Clayton Kershaw... Hasn't given up a run in two starts yet. King, King stuff right there. Yeah. April 7th, Hunjin Ryu taking on Jeff Locke, who I kind of remember was somewhat prized in the Pirates organization. He, Maybe, no, he was. He, he was excellent. I think he was, an, it was, it was either this year or 20, he was an all-star like in the mid 2010s at some point. He was, he was not a bad pitcher for like a year. Yeah, exactly. Might have been this year. Yeah, he was he was a top prospect for them. So this was actually his major league debut. 
And I don't know what it is, but it seems like a lot of Pirates make their Major League debut against the Dodgers for whatever reason. Well, it's because the Pirates are always just having guys make Major League debuts. I don't think that makes us special or anything. <laughs> Good point. So, Pirates get their offense going really quick. Andrew McCutcheon in the first inning, no outs, hits a two-run home run, scoring Starling, Marte, and... Andrew McCutcheon's always been one of those guys who just kind of has the Dodgers number. Yeah. But it doesn't take long for the Dodgers to respond. Bottom of the first inning, Adrian Gonzalez ties it up with a two-run single. So we're 2-2 score. Dodgers then take the lead in the third. Matt Kemp with a sack fly, scoring Carl Crawford. Adrian Gonzalez adds an RBI single, putting the Dodgers up 4-2. Carl Crawford scores again. I definitely want to talk about Carl Crawford later on. Yeah, me too. Agon goes on to have four RBIs in this game. Justin Sellers hits his first home run of the year. Dodgers are now up 5-2. Dodgers sweep the Pirates. And Hunjin Ryu, his first major league win. Yeah, they've swept the Pirates a lot since then, I think. Um JP Howell is just he's it's interesting seeing his name back up because he's one of those guys that man the Dodgers really could have used him in like 2018 2016 like they could have used him right after he left like he was he might be like the most underrated player of this entire run that they've had he was that piece that like every team looks for like what they like what you think of Adam Kalarik what they got for him I mean yeah I know he was the Soto guy this dude would come into games and he was like lights out. He was their best relief pitcher. All right, so April 9th, the Dodgers bullpen, Belisario, Greer, they just fall apart. Dodgers get smoked 9-3. So we're going to take you to April 10th where Chad Billingsley, who's making his first start of the season coming off the DL, taking on Eric Stoltz, the former Dodger. Now, Chad Billingsley actually had a career 262 ERA against the Padres. And right away, the Dodgers get on the board with a Carl Crawford leadoff home run. Nothing. Padres do get a run back on a Chris DeNorfia RBI single. But then Mark Ellis drives in Carl Crawford. So you'll start to notice Carl Crawford scoring a lot of these Dodger runs. Dodgers are now at 4-1. Take it to the ninth inning. Brandon Lee again for the save. Actually does give up two runs with two outs but he does manage to hold on, get his third save of the season. Now, Billingsley did not look like the Chad Billingsley we were, we were kind of talking about earlier. Although he did give up just one run, he only had three strikeouts and three walks, but he did get the win. That's just kind of the beginning of the deterioration we saw. Exactly. This is a very interesting game. It's April 11th. It's Zach Granke. Take it on Jason Marquis. This was kind of near the end of Marquis's career. I kind of remember him winning a World Series with the Cardinals in 2006. I hope I got that right. So this game, Dodgers jump out to a 2-0 lead. Adrian Gonzalez drives in Carl Crawford. However, the Padres do get one back in the fifth inning. Matt Kemp gets a ball thrown high and near his face. He kind of stares down Marquis. He did not like that at all. So then the top of the sixth inning, Carlos Quinton at the plate. And then this happens. 
Three and two. And it hit him, wouldn't you know? Now he has something to say, and look out here. A.J. Ellis got out there just as Branky and Quentin got together. Quentin continues to amaze as he consistently gets hit by pitches. So you hear Granky plucks Carlos Quentin, and Chris Capuano comes in in an emergency long relief situation. The run that uh, Quentin, when Quentin had to go to first base, that run actually does go on to score. But so it's a 2 2 game. Come eighth inning, though, Juan Uribe takes Luke Gregerson deep, puts the Dodgers up 3 2. That's Uribe's second home run of the year. And you can kind of notice that there's no Luis Cruz highlights, and Juan Uribe is the one doing the damage. Kenley Jansen actually goes in in that in the ninth inning to get the save. That's his first save of the season. Dodgers win that game 3-2. It was sort of the beginning of uh, Kenley Jansen as a uh, closer, it looks like, for the Dodgers. But, man, I remember this game was the first time I truly felt like anger in Major League Baseball. I mean, trust me, I felt a lot of it now, especially towards the Houston Astros. But, man, this was like my first experience just being, like, pissed. I mean, I was pissed. Zach Granke was our prized possession, and he'd not even gone three games into the season. And this, I'm not even going to say it on here because it's probably not a good look for me uh, for any professional implications future. But, man, oh, I hated Carlos Clinton. I hated, I mean, I hated the San Diego Padres more than the Giants for years after this because of Carlos Quentin, what he did here. And an eight-game ban was just insulting and sickening. I remember I didn't even watch this game live. I remember um, I was out at Benihana that night, like, with my family. Benihana, the, the, the champion, the greatest restaurant of all time. David would agree with me if he was here right now. Um, but I remember this is before, you know, cell phones had all the apps that were completely telling us every single little thing. So I remember my dad and I came home and he's like, whoa, Granky came out early, injured, like collarbone. I'm like, what? And so it's like, oh, here's the highlight. And I saw it. I was pissed. I mean, I was, I was angry. I, I hate Carlos Quentin. Seriously. Like, <laughs> I, I hate him a little bit less than I hate, like, Alex Bregman and Altuve, but, like, He's like right up like one of my uh, favorite accounts on the Twitter. It's uh, Jesse's uh, got the, the can catch his hands list. And like Carlos Quentin absolutely like needs to be on there. Like I hate him way more than Gerardo Parra, like yeah. way more. And I hated yeah. the Padres like this. This game is like a sore subject with me. And this was, in my opinion, the beginning of a like two month downturn for the Dodgers. This like this point in time was the beginning of a very bad spell yep. and a slump for the team. Bad yeah. So at this point, the Dodgers they're six and three. They beat the Padres two to one that series. So they take on the Arizona Diamondbacks next. First time of the season. It's April twelfth. It's Patrick Corbin taking on Clayton Kershaw. Dodgers offense just is, they do not show up this game. And what's funny enough, and I didn't even remember this, Sean Tolleson was actually on the Dodgers. Now, Tolleson didn't have a long career, but he does end up going on to be a solid closer for the Texas Rangers for a few years. And, yeah, I mean, Dodgers lose 3-0. So next game, April 13th, it's Hunjin Ryu taking on Ian Kennedy. Ryu gets his first career hit. It's a double. His parents are loving it. They're clapping. But we take it to the fourth inning. 
Adrian Gonzalez hits his second home run of the season, putting the Dodgers up one nothing. Bottom fifth, Ryu gets his second hit. So Ryu making Ryu's showing what he can do with the bat kind of early on in his Dodgers career. Skip Schumacher is able to score Ryu, putting the Dodgers up 2-0. Ethier gets an RBI single. Dodgers go up 3-0. And then Ryu's up to bat again. And then listen to this call. And he's going to get his third hit. Parra's going to try to throw him out, but now decides not to try. So Ryu is 3-for-3 in his private cheering section. The one thing his brother finally saw yeah, so Ryu gets his third hit of the game. Yeah, no, I mean, I thought he was going to be the first, um, not Otani, I thought it was going to be him to be the first international player that would bring a two-way to the front, sort of, just kidding. But, no, I, I, I do remember this game, actually. I remember it's when, like, I saw some meme. Someone called him Babe Ryu, and that was kind yeah. of the beginning of, like, a little couple-year thing where they called him that. It was stupid. But, um, yeah, no, that was he was – he can swing the bat a little bit. He's he's sneaky like that. It's it's weird how good he is. And then Brandon League, on in relief, gets his fourth save. Hunjin Ryu improves to two and one. Had a three hit game and actually struck out nine D backs. Last game of the series. It's April fourteenth. Josh Beckett taking on Trevor Cahill. Unfortunately, Trevor Cahill's just lights out. The Dodgers lose one nothing, despite Josh Beckett going eight and a third innings. He pitched a complete game, and that's because in the ninth inning, Paul Goldschmidt drives in AJ Pollock. They walk it off, and Josh Beckett falls to zero and two. Or sorry, Dodgers lose the game one nothing, lose the series two one. They fall to seven and five, and this actually is going to be the first loss of what will be a little streak that we're about to discuss when we get to the next series. So it's April fifteenth. It's Eric Stoltz again taking on Chad Billingsley. It's it's Jackie Robinson night. Padres jump out to a 3-0 lead in the second inning on a three-run home run by the pitcher, Eric Stoltz. However, the Dodgers do rally back. But then Ronald Belisario comes in in relief in the seventh inning. And on an 0-2 count, he gives up an RBI hit to the pinch hitter, Kristen Orfia. The Dodgers go on to lose that game 6-3. April 16th. Chris Capuano making his first start, filling in for Zach Granke, taking on Jason Marquis. Ugly start for Capuano. Yonder Alonso gets an RBI single with the bases loaded. Capuano then walks in a run. Two more runs are going to come across due to an Alexi Amarista RBI hit. So Padres are up 4-0. If you remember Amarista, this guy was kind of just feisty and kind of got in your mind, even though he was really tiny. I don't know if you remember him. So top second. Little ground out along the first baseline. Capuano's running to first, trying to get the out, force out. But then he pulls something in his uh, hamstring. 
So he has to come out of the game in the third inning, although he did try to go out in the third and pitch again like a warrior that he was, because Capuano is a little underrated in my opinion. But Oh, he was. Yeah. Matt Greer comes on in relief, gives up a run right away. Josh Wall, a guy I totally forgot about, he gives up three runs. And then for whatever reason, Don Mattingly has the closer, Brandon Ling, pitching in an 8-2 to Padres game. I don't know why Mattingly would have your closer in this situation. It seemed very unnecessary. But League goes on to give up a run. Padres win this game 9-2. They had 15 hits. And Capuano falls to 0-1. So this, the last game of the series, it's April 17th. Clayton Kershaw against Tyson Ross. Kyle Blanks, this is kind of a forgotten Padres masher for a very short period of time. It's a home run. He was an absolute blue chip stud in MLB The Show, like in the early 2000s, in the early 2010s. That dude was always, like, I would always trade for him. It was him and some dude on the Astros named, like, Tommy Manzella were, like, the two best prospects you could ever get in, like, MLB 2K12. It was crazy. Yeah, I definitely remember that, too. So, anyways, J.P. Howell, he gives up two runs. Dodgers lose this game 7-2. They get swept by the Padres in all three games. Dodgers now fall to 7-8. They have a four-game losing streak. The next series, they actually fly out to Baltimore, of all places. And they were supposed to play on April 19th, but it got rained out. So, they have a doubleheader on April 20th. So, the first game is Hunjin Ryu against Jason Hamill. What you can remember about this game is Ronald Belisario gives up more runs. Paco Rodriguez gets charged with the loss. Jim Johnson, who ends up becoming a Dodger later on. Ex-Dodger legend. (laughs) Don't disrespect my man Jimmy J like that. He was an ex-Dodgers legend. So the Dodgers lose this game 7-5. Second game of the doubleheader, Wei-Yin Chen against Josh Beckett and... Beckett's still looking for his first win of the year. Adrian Gonzalez gets the Dodgers up 1-0 on a sacrifice fly scoring Carl Crawford. Bottom second, Chris Davis hits his seventh home run of the year. I mean, here you've got guys like Chris Davis of the Orioles with seven home runs, and the Dodgers, they only had, like, at best, two home runs for their top slugger. It's just kind of different how – Home runs really weren't a big thing for the Dodgers back then. No, but, this was obviously before the rise of analytics. And this is still when Coletti was running the team. And while I think Ned Coletti's actually quite an underrated general manager, if you look at a lot of the draft picks he's made and a lot of the guys that are Dodgers because of him directly um, and his regime, he was um, definitely an old school GM and had an old school mindset, which isn't bad, you know, just different from what we have now. Yeah, definitely. Anyways, where was I? Oh, yes. Bottom of the fifth inning. It's a 1-1 game until Manny Machado puts the Orioles ahead 2-1 on an RBI double. And then bottom of the sixth inning, Manny Machado back up again, hits a three-run home run off Beckett. Orioles win this game 6-1. Dodgers are now on a six-game losing streak. And Manny Machado was very young back then. And he wasn't the star that he is today. So, last game of the series features Stephen Fife of the Dodgers making his first career start against 
Jake Arietta. So the Dodgers, <laughs> Dodgers get down early. It's three nothing. JJ Hardy hits a two run double. So Orioles are ahead three nothing. Dodgers get one back thanks to Mark Ellis. But then Adam Jones responds with a solo home run in the third, putting Baltimore up four one. Fifth inning, area had been dealing all game long, but with the bases loaded and nobody out, Mark Ellis gets a two-run single. TJ McFarland comes in in relief. Adrian Gonzalez smacks an opposite field double to tie it up. And then Matt Kemp follows it up with an RBI single, putting the Dodgers ahead 5-4. Brandon League coming in on in relief in the ninth inning. Gets his fifth save of the year. Dodgers win 7-4. And J.P. Howell actually got the win in that game. So the Dodgers do lose the series two games to one, fall to eight and ten, but at least they finally got a win. All right, we take this series now to New York. April 23rd, Jonathan Neese against Clayton Kershaw. And then Justin Sellers, he gets an RBI single, putting the Dodgers ahead one nothing. AJ Ellis is able to tack on one more run. And actually, Jonathan Neese, the little comebacker that he received off his leg, he has to come out. He was dancing around in some pain. So the rest of that ball game, Mets are using relief pitching. Bottom of the third inning, however, David Wright, who's a Mets legend, gets an RBI single. Top of the fifth. Mark Ellis hits a home run off Robert Carson, who had just been called up. And this is actually Mark Ellis's 100th career home run. Top of the seventh, Mark Ellis hits another home run off the clo- or off what used to be their closer, Brandon Lyon. Mark Ellis was four for five that game with two RBIs. AJ Ellis adds two more RBIs. Dodgers are going to win this game 7-2. Unfortunately, that day, the Dodgers do announce Chad Billingsley has to undergo Tommy John surgery. Yeah. Um, David Wright, I'm going to say an unpopular opinion. When he was healthy, he was the real captain in New York, not Derek Jeter. David Wright was kind of like, I think a lot of people expected David Wright to be what Mike Trout is today. Yeah, they really did. He was, he really, if it wasn't for his health issues, we're talking about Hall of Fame talent. The guy was so good. He just was always injured, and it really shortened his career, sadly. He was immensely talented. He was a really, really good player. Yeah, I absolutely he agree. Was blue, he was a blue-chip number one guy, I think, too, in the farm system with him. Yep. Point. So it's April 24th. Matt Harvey on the mound for the Mets. And he had really gone off to a great start. He was 4-0 with a .93 ERA, taking on... Ted Lilly making his first start of the season coming off the DL. Top of the sixth inning, however, Matt Kemp hits what's kind of a weird home run. He's not sure if it cleared the fence or not, so he is running as fast as he can to third base. The play is reviewed, and it is confirmed a home run. That's Matt Kemp's first home run of the year on April 24th, which is kind of weird to think about because in 2011, Matt Kemp was a 40-40 guy, basically. Bottom of the ninth, Brandon League on in relief. He had a 257 ERA, 
five for five and save opportunities. Allows a fly out. Unfortunately, Carl Crawford drops the ball. So now a runner's on second with nobody out. And despite Jerry Hairston making a great catch to force the second out, David Wright up to bat. Two out, runner on third. And Wright answers with an RBI single. It is now a 3-3 ball game. Josh Wall comes on in relief, bottom of the 10th inning. Jordani Valdespin is the batter, but this is what goes down. Swinging and a long fly ball to right field. That'll win it for New York. It hits toward the wall, and it's out of here. A grand slam for Valdespin to win the ball game. So Valdespin hits a walk-off grand slam off Josh Ball, and ironically later on that season, I don't even remember Valdespin but he got a 50-game suspension for use of performing-enhancing drugs. I don't know. I remember him. I remember him well. He was actually kind of a decent prospect, I think, if I remember. Interesting. All right, it's April 25th, my birthday day. Hunjin Ryu taking Your on... Your birthday day? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. April 25th, Hunjin Ryu taking on Jeremy Hefner. This game is kind of a pitcher's duel. Dodgers do go on to win 3-2. Brandon League responds after a terrible night before, gets the save. His sixth of the season, Kenley Jansen gets the win. April 27th, it's Willie Willie Peralta against Matt McGill, making his MLB debut for the Dodgers. Top of the third, Betancourt gets an RBI single. Two runs to score in that inning. It's 2-0 Brewers. Bottom of the third inning, A.J. Ellis gets an RBI single, scoring Juan Uribe. It's 2-1. to one. An error by Betancourt allows the Dodgers to tie it up 2-2. Bottom six, Matt Kemp scores on a sack fly. Dodgers are up 3-2. McGill goes 6.2 innings, allows two runs, seven strikeouts. Paco Rodriguez, unfortunately, allows a – Runner to reach base on an air. Matt Guerrero then comes in in relief. Gives up a two-run home run to Carlos Gomez. Brewers are up 4-3. Guerrero then gives up another two-run home run to Martin Maldonado. The next inning, it's 6-3 Brewers. Even though Andre Ethier is able to hit a home run off Axford in the bottom of the eighth inning, it doesn't matter. Jim Henderson is able to do his job as the closer, and the Dodgers lose 6-4. All right, finally, last game of this series. It's April 28th. Clay and Kershaw against Kyle Loesch. Kershaw's actually winless since April 6th. Bottom of the first inning, Carl Crawford, leadoff home run. On the first pitch of the game, it's 1-0 Dodgers. Clay and Kershaw's dealing all day long. Bottom of the fifth, Clay and Carl Crawford hits another home run. Dodgers go up 2-0. Clay and Kershaw... Pitches eight shutout innings, has a season-high 12 strikeouts, improves to three and two. And this is actually Clayton Kershaw's first career Dodger Stadium win against the Brewers, funny enough. I was also at that game. Brandon Lee gets his eighth save. So the Dodgers win that series two to one. 12 and 12 record. All right, Ian, we're almost done. This game is all Rockies. Nolan Arenado, who's a rookie, hits a home run puts them ahead 12-0 and despite Jerry Harrison Jr. getting a 
two-run home run in the bottom of the seventh off Adam Adovino. Adovino. Dodgers lose 12-2. All right. Last game of the month. It's April 30th. It's also Hanley Ramirez bobblehead night. And what do you know? Perfect timing. Hanley Ramirez is activated off the DL with the thumb injury. He's in the Dodgers starting lineup. Dodgers are ahead 4-1 at this point. When we take you to the bottom of the third, Ramirez at the plate, and he goes yard. His first game back off the DL. Talk about an epic moment right there. Hanley Ramirez hits a solo home run. This is this game is all Dodgers. Hunjin Ryu was flat out dominant. He had 12 strikeouts, and he even got to take a picture at the end of the game with the Korean pop sensation Psy, who had that one song, Gangnam Style. I know this is so 2013. But yes, the Dodgers are now at 500. So as a Dodgers fan, you got to be kind of feeling good. They're 13 and 13. They're at 500. You know, the baseball's a marathon, not a sprint. So I'll take it at this point. Ian, do you have any final thoughts to conclude this episode? Um, well, it was kind of a interesting month with some uh, things here and there. I, Oh man, I, I'm already dreading the May episode. That episode's gonna be a tough one. Um, but this, I swear, it was like this was like the first team, and then later on in the season we get a second team. So this is kind of the. This almost felt like the holdover of the unsuccessful kind of end of the McCourt years. This still felt like that, and then later on when we kind of get a glimpse of what was to come. So, yeah, there were some good moments, some moments of brightness, but ultimately. Uh, this this first month feels like a lot of the old team and a lot of the uh, old old uh, ways and practices were still kind of going on. Um, and clearly, we just see Mattingly leaving pitchers in too long. It's very funny. We later would come to find out what happened. Yep. All right. Well, little did we know in May, we're going to be in for a really rough ride, and I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you all for listening to The Incline. We'll bring you our normal content coming soon, as well as the follow-up episode. Thank you all for listening. We're out. And four to one in favor of the Dodgers. De La Rosa into the windup. Fastball is hit high in the air to left field. Going back is Gonzalez to the track at the wall. Gone. A bobblehead home run. I see you. He does that to the crowd, making circles with index finger and thumb, and holding on to the eye. It was questionable if he could hit a ball that high that it would go out. But he did just that, a mile high, and it carried into the stands.